Good morning. It is uh, about 6.20 on April the 3rd, 2014, 46 degrees, Thursday. Much nicer day to walk around, even though it is kind of muggy, a little too humid. By the way, if you're just now tuning into the episode, yes, this is just one guy walking his dog. It's going to be like 45 minutes as we walk two miles, and there is no cool action sequence at the end. No zombies popping out. It's just a guy walking his dog, talking about writing, mostly, and other stuff. The weird noise sounds like it's coming from the base. I don't know what that is. We're also pretty close to BWI, so I suppose it could be an airplane. And now it's going away. Don't know. Let's see. Yeah, I uh, I put in that disclaimer because there was a comment on yesterday's episode where a guy said, uh, wait. I watched a couple minutes of this, and is it really just some guy walking and talking? So I got on there and said, yep, that is all it is. And believe it or not, it's a couple dozen people who tune in every day. So I just thought that was funny. I started the uh, camera as soon as uh, I started the walk, and I didn't bother to try and turn off Wi-Fi or Bluetooth this time. Last time, I just let it run, and it went for a good 46 minutes without a problem. I don't think Google's released any new updates, so it really shouldn't be a improved battery use thing, but all the same. We got much better battery last time than we did uh, in the past. Speaking of updates, they haven't done a uh, update to uh, Google Glass in a few months because apparently they are waiting to set up KitKat for Google Glass. And in general, I understand what KitKat is supposed to do, but I still don't get how that applies to glass. Better memory usage, uh, that kind of thing. But we don't exactly have... I mean, you only have like two or three apps that you can possibly be running at any time. I don't know. I'm sure they've got bigger plans for it. I saw something yesterday that uh, said people were working on gestures for Google Glass, where you can switch between uh, different 
uh, tiles by waving your hand in front of the camera. I'm sure they have other uses, other examples, but that was the one that they went with. And uh, I gotta say, I, I don't really like the idea because we look goofy enough now. Last thing we need is to be walking along looking like we're swatting at flies. And honestly, right now, the interface is kind of cool. You have to reach up to touch the uh, touch screen on the side, but that seems sort of like, you know, I'm taking off my shades or something. It looks, I mean, if people are watching, then they say, oh, okay, he's manipulating that glass. But if they're not watching, then, oh, it's just a guy reaching for his glasses. If, on the other hand, you're swatting invisible flies in front of you, you look a little bit more goofy. And I think right now we could use less goofy, the better. So I got about uh, 700 words done today on the new book. Not bad. Not as good as a thousand, but I am having trouble getting back into the swing of things. Waking up at 5 a.m. again, that kind of thing. So I'm not too terribly surprised that I didn't get a thousand words. I'm a little bit iffy about the direction that the story's taken because I lifted these sections from 1884 and I lifted them because they were pretty cool sections. But what worries me is here you've got this story and you've got these characters and we're centered around these characters and we're moving slowly through them. Well, not all that slowly, but but you get a feel for who we care about and who we don't. And, I mean, I'll go ahead and tell you, um, part of this, this new change deals with the wars. In uh, the Noblesse Oblige series, I make constant references to the wars, but I never say who's fighting who, or why, or for how long, any of that kind of thing. So, as such, there's, uh, I mean, I did it on purpose. I did it because I wanted the reader to say, this doesn't make sense. How can people just go along with their lives knowing that there's a war going on, that people are dying? How can people just not care? How can they just act like it doesn't even happen? So... And that, of course, is my own tiny commentary on our current military situation. What was the line from uh, The Dark Knight? If you tell someone that a soldier is going to die or a cop is going to get shot, nobody says anything, but 
If you say you're going to kill one little mare, everybody loses their mind. So yeah, in a small way, I'm trying to frame it so that people realize. I mean, if you hear people talking about a war in science fiction normally, you know exactly what's going on with every part of that war. Because the writer is interested in the war, and they want to get that story across. They want to explain what's going on. And while I personally know what's going on, because, you know, I'm setting up like a story bible for it, and you, you want to make sure you know who's on whose side, and who's attacking whom, that kind of thing. But, uh... I know it, but I'm not letting any of them know it. So that when elements of it come up, talking about India getting support from Australians to take the Nile, you're like, wait, what? Also, the fact that I'm going back to a stand-up fight rather than the way we fight wars now. That's a nod to the Victorian thing. I don't figure I'm going to go far enough to have them marching in line. And I am planning to give them... And yes, we, see that's the thing, is that we're going to see some of the war. We're going to see some of the people who are fighting it. And, uh, so yeah, I'm planning to give them limited powered armor. Not quite Iron Man, but a little bit further than we have right now. I figure something looking like Halo, Master Chief. Anyway, so yeah, um, I kind of got off track. The, uh, the key thing is, I've got this story that's dealing with the politics. It's dealing with the uh, major families. It's dealing with the uh, struggle for who's going to be the new sovereign. And... While that's going on, we know that the war is happening, but nobody really cares. There's a military advisor, and he's basically saying, look, we've got a holding pattern. Until we got a new king, we're not taking any new areas. We are shoring up our defenses. We are preparing. And they're okay with that. They're okay with just, all right, well, we'll just hold our position then. As though there was no negotiation necessary. All right, sorry. Pontificating again. Um, so yeah, we've got these characters who care nothing at all for the war. And then we jump suddenly to uh, slave labor on a dirigible. We jump automatically to the front lines in uh, Bangalore. Bangalore. For some reason, I think that's wrong. I'd have to check again. It could be Bangladesh. Uh, anyway, 
so yeah, there's, uh, and on the one hand, it's really cool. I mean, it's a lot of interesting visuals and getting into the mind of the, uh, you know, that whole slave mentality. Because a lot of the guys there, a lot of the guys who are working as slaves, indentured servants really, but let's not kid each other. Um, these guys have kind of a Stockholm Syndrome, where they are getting the news about the uh, nations that ca uh, capture them. And then they take it on as though this is our boys fighting the good fight. When they hear about the war, they take pride in their side doing better than the other side. So, yeah, I mean, we go from talking about politics and talking about ascension to talking about the uh, slave mentality on a dirigible. And it's a very different thing. It's going to be very odd. And I'm just hoping that I can... And I'm thinking what I'm going to do is I'm going to sort of pad that shock by showing a lot of the transitions going to it. How the character basically falls into this slave labor. And, uh, yeah. So we got that. Anyway. It'll come together, I'm sure. Right now we're just putting words to page. Making them pretty is the editing pass. I got an email yesterday from a publisher. It's never happened before. Apparently Nathan Lowell gave them my name. Yeah, publisher said he wants to talk to me about novellas. I think they said they were looking to put out one novella per month for a year. But honestly, uh, by their definition, 70 to 100 pages, uh, 250 words per page, that's 25,000 words. Uh, if I stay on track, I can do that in a month. So I alone could be putting out a novella every month. And on the one hand, I'm going like, okay, well, I can definitely do this for you. And selling in more places is always better, of course. On the other hand, I'm thinking to myself, why am I not selling novellas? Just making short stories. Well, 2,500 words, uh, 25,000 words isn't exactly a short story, but... They sell them at something like $3 a pop.
So obviously I wouldn't be making as much off of each sale as I do with the uh, novels. But if you get good distribution, then you're going to get more sales than you would off of Kindle. I mean off of uh, Amazon. So, yeah, that could be cool. Speaking of Amazon, the other day I noticed I had something like, I don't know, 22 reviews on the Hidden Institute. And, uh, on Goodreads, there was like 70, maybe 80. And now on Goodreads, when I say review, I mean anybody who will assign a certain number of stars to it. On Amazon, you have to put in some text description where people get, you know, really in-depth. On Goodreads, you just click on how many stars you think, and if you want to write something, you can. So I pointed that out on the writer's discussion group. I said, if you're an independent and you're looking for where to, uh, to link to, when people want to know about what to think of your book, I noticed two things. One, on every single book I had, Goodreads had more reviews than Amazon did. At the same time, on every one of those reviews, Amazon gave a higher overall value, around 4 to 4.5 out of 5, than uh, Goodreads did, which averaged right around 4, 4 out of 5. So I basically just posted up on uh, Google+, Plus. said, I personally would choose the Goodreads one, because it looks better to have lots of reviews, even if they're four out of five stars. And I kid you not, people started arguing with me. Well, are you considering only verified purchases? Are you considering any possible ones? Have you considered that some people might be posting on both? And you know, I sort of nod and I answer the questions, but in the back of my mind I'm going, no, look, there's two numbers, all right? One of the numbers is bigger than the other one. So that one, if you want to show that you have more, is the one you link to. It's not brain surgery. But that's as may be. Speaking of surgery, my little girl went to the eye doctor yesterday. She has a, uh, a kind of lazy eye. We were told originally that it was just a effect of being a preemie. Development didn't work out that way. So the one eye doesn't always track. And originally they were telling us, put an eye patch over the other one, 
You'll strengthen the bad eye. But, uh, it's a long story. Allie had to uh, change medical providers a couple of times because the judge says that Allie's ex-husband has to provide the health insurance and he has tried to provide as little as possible, switching wherever he can. Last year, see, she only gets like one eye appointment per year. And so while she was visiting him for like two weeks, he said, I took her to the eye doctor. Now you don't get to. I mean, he said that. He was so petty that he was using the child's medical appointments as a way of showing his power over Allie. But whatever. So it's been a year. Allie takes the EP to an eye doctor. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Hold on. I got to back up. Last year, when... uh, Jerkwad took the EP. He said that their doctor said there was that there was nothing physical wrong with the eye, that it was neurological. And so doing the eye patch thing doesn't help. It wouldn't make any difference. And uh, he got her glasses that would help with astigmatism. Well, the thing is, the EP doesn't have astigmatism. So, for the last year, she's been wearing glasses that literally do nothing for her. She's known it. Everybody's known it. She doesn't like wearing them. But, you know, it was a doctor, you know? We assume, no matter how cheap he is, he knows what he's talking about. So... Allie takes the EP to the doctor yesterday. And the EP makes an offhand remark. Hey, the last guy didn't put drops in my eyes. And this, of course, is standard procedure for anybody who's going to, you know, look into the back of the eye. You know, you dilate the pupils. So... After further uh, investigation, Ali found out that, in fact, the last doctor didn't dilate her eyes. Nor did he do much of anything. The EP was very impressed by all of the uh, tools and machinery that this doctor had. Because the other doctor didn't have any of that. The other doctor just looked at her for a little bit and then gave her a prescription for glasses that didn't help. So, uh, yeah. Right now, our best guess is that what her ex referred to as an eye doctor visit was in fact a visit to like one hour glasses or Pearl Vision or something. 
So you manages to save money by not making a claim on insurance, although I'm not sure I see how that works. And at the same time, he denies Allie the opportunity to get the EP the kind of care that she needs and the kind that we could easily provide, but they won't let us. So anyway, we found out that for the last year, the EP has been trying to fix a problem that she can't fix with glasses. Not these glasses. The glasses she has are for astigmatism, which again, she doesn't have. It did nothing to actually help with her current eyes situation. So basically we lost a year while her body is still developing. I mean, when you're young, that's your best opportunity to fix problems like this. And, uh, and we lost that time. And that bothers me a lot. So, uh, yeah, and now they're talking about... We, we were told that there was surgery they could do, but that it wouldn't make any difference. That it that her mind would compensate or something. And so there was no point in having the uh, surgery done. Now this new doctor is saying like, well, no. In fact, we can do that. So, yeah, it was a bit of an eye-opening visit, if you'll forgive the pun. And my ducks. So, uh, so yeah, we are uh, getting some new glasses for her. And she was a little bit iffy at first about getting new glasses. Then she found out that they came in Iron Man red. And now she's totally on, on board. So long, ducks. Anyway, um, so yeah, we get to work on that next. Poor Allie, she was really worried about the expense. I kept telling her, you know, if it's you know, medical, we don't care about the expense. You got to do it. Sit. Ripley, sit. Ripley, sit. Good girl. Stay. Stay. All right. Let's see now. Stay. Ripley, good girl. Thank you, baby. All right. Come on. 
Bitcoin jumped $10 in value while I was on my walk. <coughs> that one's a ride. I, uh, I recently got into Bitcoin mining as a hobby and uh, not doing too bad with it, honestly. Bitcoin has dropped in value from $700 to $400 in the two or three months that I've been doing this. And despite that, still making money. So that's kind of cool. Well, all right, let me clarify that. What I've been doing is I'll take an amount of money that we can afford to risk as like a sunk cost. You know, this is investment money. We're not going to get it back. Well, I mean, we're hoping to get the returns on it back, but we're not trading it back in on cash. So I take that amount every month. I put it in, I buy Bitcoins with it. And then I buy what they call GHS, gigahertz per second, on a remote server that is constantly mining Bitcoins. And so, as one of a group of people who bought into that particular system, whenever they get a new one, I get a, what, hundredth of a Bitcoin, I guess. So, yeah. So yeah, the way it works is, every month I put in an amount of money that I can afford to lose. And, uh, I've been getting back about, what, 7% per month on that investment. And now, like I said, the actual value of Bitcoin has dropped by like 40% already since I've started this. And yet, because of the way I set up the Bitcoin mining, First month I made seven dollars. Second month I made fifteen. Uh, this month, you know, it's been four days and I've already got six dollars. So I imagine I can get to uh, twenty-eight to thirty dollars this month. Oh no, no, no! I'm sorry. It's supposed to be fourteen and then twenty-one. Twenty-one should be my goal, but it's looking like it's going to turn out better than that. And then, you know, it compounds. You put that investment, I mean, you put that profit back into the investment and uh, continue that way. And 7% per month, I figure around November, I'm going to be able to stop putting my money in altogether and just start taking profits from it. I actually figure I'm going to take 50% on profit and 50% in reinvestment. You know, constantly growing your portfolio. Still have no idea what the IRS is going to do to us. If you've been following Bitcoin, you know that the IRS has made some 
ridiculous claims about Bitcoin, treating it as property rather than a currency. So every time we trade it, we have to figure how much we bought it for and how much it's currently worth so that we can put that as a capital gain or loss on our taxes. And honestly, right now, like I said, it went from 700 to 400, so I could argue that I've made some pretty decent capital losses. If there is such a thing. I'm pretty sure you don't get taxed on capital losses, so that works out for me. But yeah, if we start doing this, every transaction has to consider the amount that you bought it at and the amount that you sold it at and have a certain amount of tax, then, uh, well, for one thing, they've completely obviated sales tax. We just simply don't have it. For another thing, if it's a foreign currency, which whether the IRS recognizes it or not, it is. Bitcoin has no nationality. So if it's foreign currency traded between foreigners, there can be no real transaction costs for US people. <coughs> you may have heard in the recent years that uh, American billionaires have been renouncing their citizenship so that they get to keep more of their money. I'm not arguing it as a good idea. I'm just saying that that's the sort of thing that leads them down that road. Please do not read this as a, we need tax breaks for the wealthy. In fact, I'd actually argue the other way. We need to tax the ever-loving crap out of them so that we shake all those people who are, you know, I'm just going to take my billions and go somewhere else to go somewhere else. And then, hopefully, we would turn to a more product and service-based economy. Speculation is, well, banking. The way we handle banking now is one of the worst problems that the financial industry has to deal with. And I realize that's kind of a stupidly bank, uh, a stupidly obvious statement. It's almost a tautology. Banking is important to finance, but I mean the way that we are handling it right now. For instance, I am in the process of moving all the money I have into a uh, credit union because you know the banking industry is dangerous, and I believe that. Too big to fail is stupid. I believe that these guys are getting slap on the wrist. God, did you hear about the guy who raped a three-year-old 
and they're not going to send him to prison because he, quote, wouldn't fare well in prison. Too big to fail. I want to get rid of too big to fail. I want to get to the point where people make things and sell things and perform services to get money. Because the way we've set it up right now, the best way to make money has absolutely nothing to do with making any product or service at all. They're telling computer programmers, if you know anything about math, go over to Wall Street and become a quant. Guaranteed money. Guaranteed better money than you're going to get anywhere else. By the way, it's worth noting the uh, hypocrisy in what I'm saying, because in my spare time, I've been working on a system that uh, attempts to predict the stock market so that you can buy and sell that way. And I recognize that hypocrisy. It just doesn't feel the same as trading bad loans as assets. Knowing full well we could bring down the financial market. A hobby at guessing the stock market doesn't seem bad. It might be. It might be, and I'm just not recognizing it because I'll take money where I can get it. But I don't think so. Sure enough, here we are, 38 minutes. I've had the low battery warning for, well, eight minutes. And uh, glass is still chugging along. So we got that going for us. Also, 38 minutes to do two miles. So that's about 18 minutes, 18 or 19. It's no sprint, but I'll take it. Anyway, we are coming up to the front door now. I appreciate you putting up with my chatter about bitcoins and stuff. And hopefully I'll get to talk to you tomorrow.